G'day and welcome to Occupied, your fortnightly podcast for all things occupation and occupational therapy. This episode, I had the one, the only Gabe Howard in to have a chat about his lived experience with bipolar disorder and anxiety. Uh, We did talk a lot about suicidal ideation. We talked a lot about uh, the different health systems between America and Australia. We talked a lot about early things that people can uh, identify in their loved ones as well. Uh, I had an absolute blast talking to Gabe. He is just uh, an awesome guy and really, really easy to talk to. So I hope you guys enjoy this. And here's Gabe Howard. I am here and I am awesome. But but here's the shitty thing about Ohio where I live. Yep. It's 32 degrees today. Two weeks ago, it was 70 degrees. And like at the end of the week, it's supposed to be 60. I'm just, so keep, I'm just I, converting I so I know what that means. Oh, yeah, 70, yeah, yeah. So, oh, yeah. so I, I don't know how the weather goes from below freezing to... Uh, uh, yeah, it's 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 just a nightmare, and I, I just think it reeks. Ha- you know, I'm not I'm not of sturdy stock to begin with. I'm a redhead, <laughs> and uh, let's be honest, my my whole body was built to fall apart. <laughs> it's eighty here right now. Oh, you bastard! At, at midnight. Oh, <laughs> uh, oh, oh! Well, thanks for staying up for me. No, that's okay. I got uh, I got a couple hours of nap, so I'm good. The episode came out. You happy with it? I am very happy with it. The uh uh um we've gotten a lot of uh positive feedback. Uh that's good. And, and and again, as I as I as I think we told you at the time, you know, when we put the episode together, we're just like, okay, well, we'll find a a, a psychiatrist uh, no, or yeah. a psychologist to to put this together. So we thought we'd just find a doctor, no problem. All the doctors said no. And uh, Rachel's like, hey, I, I know this guy. He's really cool. And, and he works with this. This is, this is kind of his jam, but he's not a doctor. And I was like, well, we don't, we've only done eight episodes. And historically, we've always used a doctor. But hmm. that, that, it, it just says experts in the field, right? It's so, and experts come in all shapes and sizes. So I just put back to her, I was like, well, is Brock an expert? And she's like, well, yeah, he's blah, 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 blah. And I was like, I don't think that's a real thing. And she's like, it is in Australia. And I was like, okay, all right. Well, now, now this is cool. So all told people were vastly interested in what you had to say, like it, more so than they would have been any doctor babbling about textbooky shit. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and, that was really cool because people are like, okay, well, this makes sense. This is a coping mechanism. Yeah. So we, we've got we've to keep the coping mechanism but remove the bat. That was like the big takeaway. Yeah, yeah. That the coping mechanism the is good. good. The behavior is bad. So we, got, we, we can't tell people to stop doing it because what they hear is I lose the coping mechanism. Mm. So I'm not changing. And you're like, no, no, no. Keep the coping mechanism. Remove the behavior. Put replace it with in. something else. That I'm like, that's... It, it it sincerely i i'm telling you honestly face to face it was an accident yeah. <laughs> we we went looking for a doctor because we're not deep thinkers uh, but <laughs> you but were it's also a different it's a different system over there too like over here uh like 
Psychiatrists are still probably, as much as I hate to say it, sort of the top of the food chain in terms of health professions. But there's, or in my state, because we have state-based health services, uh, I think we've got, there's five professions all up that are registered in the Mental Health Act, so like by legislation, um, to be able to work exclusively with like in mental health populations and occupational therapy is one of them i think it's psychiatry uh nursing social work psychology us and i'm sure i can't remember what the last one is but yeah whereas i don't like yeah. in in the states ot even though that's mental health is kind of where occupational therapy started but it's for for whatever reason I don't understand it yet fully either, but it's not really big in the states. It it's not it's not at all, and uh, I yeah it it's it's not at all, and I think that was uh um you you know if if we're if we're in in my mind and again I'm I'm trying to like figure out the this is a podcasters like we don't have Nielsen. Right. So we have to guess what our audience likes. Yeah. yeah. You know, that's, we, we can't, we can't go on uh, you know, we don't have a multi-million dollar marketing company, you know, interviewing 10,000 people and giving us our, our reviews, et cetera. We're just kind of guessing based on, you know, emails and comments, et cetera. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I, that was really fascinating to people because we it, it's new, right? We, like you said, we don't have this in America. Mm. Uh, not, not really. I, I, I'm, I'm sure that there is some, yeah, there's some, you know, it's just not, there's, there's somebody not doing as it. Prevalent over, yeah. Over the minute there. we said occupational therapist for schizophrenia, people were like, um, no, <laughs> you get occupational therapy when you break both legs and you have to learn to walk again. Um, which you also, and, uh, <laughs> uh, I mean, it, it just, I, I think you did a really, one, the accent. We've gotten lots of compliments. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not, that, that's, that's the other thing. We, we got a lot of like, hey, great episode. Loved the accent. <laughs> uh, uh, I'm it, used to that now. It does make it interesting, right? I mean, when you have an expert come on that says the shit that everybody knows, I, that's good validation. And I'm, I'm, I, I like it when people hear an expert and it does coincide with their beliefs because it means that they are not, you know, beliefs and, yeah, and yeah. understanding because it does mean that they had the correct information to begin with. Right. But it's also kind of a bummer for them because they're like, why am I listening to this? Yeah. What do I, I, I already what know. What value everything. Add you, am I getting? Exactly. So, uh, it, I, I, yeah, it, it was, uh, it, it was, it was a nice accident, like, uh, <laughs> and by accident, it's accident on our part. Oh no! And, yeah. uh, I and I said to, uh, I said to Rachel, you know, as we're kind of watching, you know, the stats and the comments, et cetera. I was like, man, we we really need to like think outside the box intentionally, not like, oh shit, what do we do? And she's like, I know a guy in Australia. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it did. You know, this is the bummer of only doing one show a month, right? Yeah, it's kind yeah. of a slower build. It's like people hear, oh, you've been doing this a year. They think we're much further along because if we'd been doing this weekly, that'd be 52. But we've only done eight because the the the, the sponsor and the money only once one a month. So, yeah, yeah. It, so it, yeah, it, yeah, it's kind of a slower build. But uh, 
we like it. We still like the way that it's structured, both with the lived experience and the expert. I think that's, yeah, I think that's so awesome. many shows are Wanna so much that you learn about schizophrenia is either I live with schizophrenia. I'm going to tell you my story and I think it's a fact. So you have to believe it because this is what happened to me. And that's very dangerous because just because two people have schizophrenia doesn't mean that their situations are identical, mm. both in terms of their their symptoms, the, how, how they relate to it, how they can manage it. And of course, their own socioeconomic or family settings can, can really interplay. Um, and then you get the experts. It's just like, you have a one in four chance of dying. You will probably be homeless. <laughs> schizophrenia is defined as negative symptoms and positive symptoms, I, which is all true. These, these are all accurate stats, but they're one, everybody hears positive symptoms of schizophrenia. Like people just freak the fuck out. They're like, there's nothing positive about it. Liar. Hmm. And, and then, it, but that's, they're speaking medically, you know, negative detracts from your personality, positive adds to your, that, that's yeah. what they mean. But a, a lot of doctors or, you know, they're, they're just using the medical terminology and they've already confused everybody. So it's, it's just a nightmare. Uh, so yeah, having you on was awesome. That's, that's the, I think that's, that's the takeaway. I think that's one good thing. Or one, one of the, one of many things that I actually really like about my profession is I tend to, we, I mean, we have our jargon, but we don't tend to get too hung up on it. Um, because we're not necessarily trying to fit into that sort of medical model. We don't have to conform and use their language and that sort of stuff so i can talk like how i spoke to you guys is how i would speak to anyone that i was working with because i'm like i would rather they understand what i'm trying to tell them yeah rather than trying to teach them another language first this is the uh, this is this is the 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 good and bad of it i i've talked to many doctors uh you know psychologists doctors you know even therapists like lisws which are like master's level in in, in america and uh, they said you know look we there's only so far that we can go outside of the guidelines. Mm. And while that's frustrating because we're like, oh man, if we could just go a little bit more, we could explain just a little bit better, but it's outside the guidelines and it's not allowed. And on one hand, that's kind of a bummer, right? Um, but they liken it to a speed limit. Mm. You know, you're, you're driving 65 and you're like, hey, I can push it to 70. And, and you know, the police are like, ah, it's five miles over. I don't give a shit. But at some point you're going 100. Mm. And that's dangerous and it's not allowed. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, they have people that are, there, there are places where you can drive 100. There's private racetracks. And so all of the people on the road are the doctors. You know, they have to drive 65. Maybe they can push it to 70 and they're fine. But we need people like us because it's fun to watch people go 150 miles an hour. It's fun to go 150 miles an hour. But realistically, we don't want our medical people doing this because it can get into real trouble real quick. And that's fair. That That's fair. Yeah. And plus, it, it you know, it lets me have a job. <laughs> so. So I'm 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 chill with that. I was like, hey, I can I I don't have a licensing board. I could say what I want. <laughs> so what age were you when you got your bipolar and your anxiety diagnosis? I was 25 years old when I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder, and the anxiety disorder diagnosis came a, a, about a year later. So so 25, 26 is when I discovered that I had 
uh, mental illness at all. Yep. So, so at, at 24, I thought that I was the picture of perfect mental health. So you can imagine that when I woke up in a psychiatric hospital at 25 being told, wow, you know, all that stuff you've been going through for like the last decade or your entire life. Yeah. All of that is not normal. I was like, no, <laughs> that's not true. It, it was, it was, it was shocking. I, I legitimately believe that I was perfectly well yeah. uh, right up until the moment that I was admitted to a psychiatric hospital. So that would have been quite a shock, shocking way to actually find out waking up in a hospital. What, Pretty much, yeah. And, yeah. You, and you said like you'd notice, or you obviously hadn't noticed, but you, in hindsight you'd seen things that weren't quite right for a long period before that. What sort of things? I thought about suicide as far back as I can remember. And, and, and I, I always, I, I always want to be like, like super clear on this. When I was 10 years old, I was thinking about suicide. When I was five years old, I was thinking about suicide. I, I have no memory of not thinking about suicide and people always challenge that they're like well now wait a minute when you were in a good mood did you think about suicide yeah i thought today is the day that i'm not going to kill myself this mm. is a good day and then of course a bad day would come and i think hey maybe today is the day that i'm going to kill myself and this was kind of the narrative in my brain this is this was just how my internal monologue worked. I was always weighing the pros and cons of, of life versus death. And because I was so young when this happened, I just assumed that everybody else was thinking about it too. And, and it, it, I knew that people didn't talk about it, but listen, there's, I never discussed going to the bathroom with mm. my grandma. That that doesn't automatically mean that she doesn't go to the bathroom. It, it just means that we don't discuss it. Like I, I understand that there's things that you don't discuss openly with your family. Yeah, yeah. Uh, for 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 good reasons. So we're all not traumatized. Mom, dad, stop discussing your sex life. We're, it's not okay. <laughs> but obviously, that doesn't mean that they're they don't have a sex life, right? We just don't discuss it. That's exactly. What and it that's means. what I thought. Yeah. <laughs> but but that's how I thought that that suicidality was. I I thought that my dad was contemplating killing himself. My mom was contemplating killing herself. My my grandma and grandpa like all of these people were just constantly weighing the pros and cons. Yep. And as I got older, I had to do some like mental gymnastics to hold on to that belief. And what I came up with was, yeah, look, I I'm not stupid. I know that the majority of people don't kill themselves, but that's just because they're better than me. It's because they're better at life. It's because they have a skill set that I have not mastered. Mm -hmm. They're happier, better, stronger, whatever word you want to slot in there that just means that they're better at life than Gabe is. And uh, I would try to get like power from that, like energy and courage. I mean, like, look, my, my, my dad is, you know, he's, he's not trying to kill himself. So, so, so clearly my, my dad is stronger than me. I will emulate that. Okay. Like that's that's good to look up to, right? But but I'd fail, and especially in the case of your parents, and and this is I think one of the the biggest misunderstandings and maybe the cruelest part of the disorder. While I was looking at my family to gain like energy and strength and find reasons to live, 
they were looking at my actions of their teenage child and thinking, oh, well, we have to punish the shit out of this. Yeah. Uh, th- th- this is, this is, this is abnormal behavior and we want Gabe to grow up to be a good man. So, or a good person, a good guy. I mean, we just, we just want, we want, we don't want him to be a drain on society. Yeah. So I'm having symptoms of bipolar disorder that they see as behavioral issues. They punish them. I'm watching them to learn how to be a good human. They're punishing me for failing at being a good human. In my mind, they're not teaching me a lesson. They're reinforcing that death is the best option. And this was the, the chronic misunderstanding in my childhood and my household. And it, it, it reached critical mass around the time I was, you know, in my mid twenties. I just, I couldn't take it anymore. So do you, did you just have, did you have a, a suicide attempt or? So, uh, sort of, uh, so, so first to be, to be very, very clear, I, I did not have a suicide attempt in that I did not harm myself, but I had a suicide plan. Yeah. Uh, th- this is, this is where, this is where your brain or at least my brain worked very oddly. So my, my first wife had left me, but we owned a house and I didn't want to stigmatize the property of the house. So I, I had to go rent an apartment to end my life in. And because, you know, I, I didn't want there to be like a corpse in, in my house because I, I knew that it had value and I didn't, I wanted to leave that money to my family. So even though my brain was telling me, Hey, it's okay to kill yourself. My brain was also telling me to respect assets. That that was problem number one. Problem number two, I, I am going through this divorce. So I was I was hanging on to make sure that that was over so that my assets would be free and clear so that all of my 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 assets, you know, that the house, the car, my savings account, et cetera, would pass to my family, yeah. not to my soon to be ex-wife. Uh, and, and that's no disrespect to her. That's just a, if, if we were still, it doesn't matter where you are in a divorce in mm. America, if you're legally married the day you die, she gets it. Yeah. Uh, I had to call my life insurance company because I'd heard this rumor that if you if you die by suicide, they, they won't pay out. So I had to call my life insurance company and be like, hey, if I kill myself, do I still get my life insurance money? And they're like, yes, yes, we have checked it out. All right, thanks. Uh, can you send me that in a letter? And they did. And then, of course, I had to put it like all on the table because I, I needed, obviously, I can't hand it to people because yeah, yeah. it's dead i i'm not going to be able to answer questions so i'm trying to get all of this paperwork together all of this together and, and then uh, i i had heard about an you know in one of my many many attempts to get help uh somebody had told me that they had been involved with a friend who had died by suicide and that the cleanup was just just very traumatizing for the family uh there, there's there's nobody to call there's nobody to call to clean up a a a, a gunshot wound, mm. uh, and you know is you know the, the the human body contains a lot of fluids, and it was in you know in the carpet and the floorboards and the walls, et cetera. And it was I, I'd heard this story about this family, and it was just so traumatizing for them to have to clean this up. That that was my takeaway. It wasn't traumatizing for them to lose their loved one. Mm. It was traumatizing for them to clean up the mess. And I didn't want to do that to my, my mom is squirmish. You know, when, when I grew up, if, if here, here's the order I threw up, my mom threw up, my dad threw up, the rest of the family threw up. And then when we all got done, we noticed there was a whole bunch of throw up on the floor. So we all threw up again. again. It, it just, we we're not, yeah, we're, we're not, we're not. So then I had to come up with a plan that would uh, make it easy for cleanup 
So, you know, the bathtub plan was born. It just, it, these are really abnormal thought patterns. Luckily, they're so abnormal, they did catch the attention of somebody. Mm-hmm. And, and, and thankfully, good. <laughs> good. Yes, good. It caught the attention of somebody who understood that, that that's really what it boils down to. Uh, she has major depression. She had taken a psychology class in college. So my family had zero knowledge about mental illness. In, in fact, we had negative knowledge because we thought the television was honest. Uh, so we believed all the tropes we saw on TV. So like we would have been better off at ignorance. We were actually at like dangerous levels of stupidity. Uh, we were at like flat earther levels of mental illness knowledge. Uh, it, it, we would have just been better off to know zero. We, yep. we knew negative amounts. You had to undo all the stupid shit that we believed to get us to zero and then build a foundation. And then go from there. there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it, w- it was really, really bad. And, uh, but she wasn't that way because she had suffered from depression herself, because she had gone to college and taken like psychology one-on-one because she had gone to a therapist, um, whatever. She was raised different. Who the hell knows? And she walked up to me and said, hey, are you planning on killing yourself? I got excited. I was like, oh, this is wonderful. I'm going to have help. Remember how I talked about the stack of papers, leaving them on the kitchen table? I was worried that nobody would find this stack of papers. I immediately thought, I'll just give her the papers. She will give the papers to my mom. This is fantastic. Oh, Thank you. I, I was really excited. She, on the other hand, freaked out. She like just, she just like freaked out. Uh, and uh, I, I looked at her like she was crazy. And she said to me, we have to go to the hospital right now. The, 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 yeah, now I really thought she was nuts. I was like, we, we don't need to go to the hospital. I'm not sick. And she's like, no, we need to get in the car right now and go to the emergency room. The emergency room, see, the emergency room is where you go if you're, like, desperately sick right now. Like, the emergency room is where you go when you fall off the roof. Yeah. The, yep. the emergency room is where you go when you're having a heart attack. The emergency room is not where you go when you're making the reasonable decision to end your own life. Like, this is not a medical issue, and it's certainly not an emergency medical issue. She's a smart woman, and she tricked me. She looked me in the eyes, and she said, okay, here's what we're going to do. We'll get in the car and we'll drive to the emergency room and we'll ask the doctor if this is where you need to be. And if the doctor says that you don't need to be here, there's nothing wrong with you, you will be right. And because you're right, I will buy you dinner anywhere in the city. Completely free. Free dinner. And apparently, even in my depressed, delusional, and suicidal state, I still had the overwhelming desire to be right and to win a bet and to get a free meal. So we hopped in the car and to the emergency room we drove. I I always like to pause at this point and say, I wasn't pretty sure I was going to win. I wasn't 99.99% sure I was going to win. I was 100% positive that I was right. There There was no doubt, no doubt in my mind that this woman was nuts. Yep. And that I was you correct. You didn't need to be there. Yeah. And it, I, I was thinking about things on the drive like, okay, well, how expensive of a restaurant can I pick? I mean, are we talking like a steakhouse? And then like what kind of steakhouse? Are we talking like a Morton's steakhouse? Like a 
like a hundred dollar average check? Are we talking like a $200 average check or should I be nice and just be like, ah, we can go to Chili's. Like, like th these were the thought processes that were going through my mind. Cause I was, I was so positive. I was yeah. right. <laughs> we get to the emergency room. We walk in, we go over to the intake specialist and she says, this is my friend, Gabe. He wants to kill himself. The intake specialist started asking some questions. I, I still wasn't really worried. Uh, then they started asking some more questions. Then they, then they moved me to not, not a room, but you, you know, there's like curtains and there's beds yeah, yeah. in between all the curtains. They, they moved me into one of those areas and, and, and people started coming in and asking me questions and like a social worker came to visit me and they're just, it, it became apparent after a while that they're, they, they seem to be doing some sort of protocol. Yeah. Like, like, and, and uh, one lady had a clipboard which I, I now know is, is, you know, the, the, the suicide threat assessment that, that has the questions on it. But, but she was asking me questions off of that clipboard. Well, just if, if you have a clipboard that has a piece of paper on it and you're the person asking it, and it's very obvious that you've done this, like it, it, it was, it was odd. I was, I was very confused. I didn't, mm. it, 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 it just seemed like this had happened to other people before at some point during this whole process i i just kind of blacked out there there's just a point in the process where after i talked to the third or fourth person i just really don't remember what happened after that and the next thing i remember is waking up in a psychiatric hospital so a psychiatric ward so during that process there was no thought from you of i need to hide this for like I need to hide what I'm trying to do from these people or anything like that because as far as you were concerned it was the completely logical and sane decision that you were making and everyone else yeah yeah I sort of liken it to when kids swear right you know a, a kid goes to school and their classmates are you know saying you know son of a bitch son of a bitch son of a bitch and they go home and their mom you, you know doesn't give them the dinner they want and they're like son of a bitch mom they say it with 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 all the confidence and uh, because they they haven't yet been told that that's a swear word yep their their family did not teach them that they're not allowed to say it and of course the mom freaks out yeah, yeah. and usually what happens in all of these scenarios is that the kid is confused because mm. they've been saying son of a bitch for the last two weeks at school yeah, like yeah. nobody's yelled at them their their peer group is okay with these words like it, it just it never occurred to them that they were going to get any any punishment or guff. But the, the parents almost always overreact in the situation. That's a swear word and you're not allowed to use it. Next thing you know, the kid is in the corner, grounded. They're just like, I don't, I don't fully understand what I did wrong. When they said son of a bitch, they didn't know it was a bad word. They, they've been using words their whole lives and they got praise for it. Uh, and all of a sudden... This, this, this happens and they're confused. Now they figure it out and they learn, okay, they're, you, you, you can't call grandma a motherfucker. Okay. I'm learning. I, I get it. Like, like, but it was kind of like that. I, I didn't have any reason to lie. There was no reason to lie. I thought I was allowed to say son of a bitch at three. Yeah. I didn't know. <laughs> I was, I was shocked. I was shocked at the way these people were acting. Uh, and, and, and it became so overwhelming that of course I just, I, I just, I, 
I didn't lose consciousness in the sense that I, I know what happened afterwards because my friend was still with me and she told me everything that happened and 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 I believe her, I believe her account, but mm. but I, I have no memory of it. She just said that I just sort of became this monotonous shell that was just answering questions and staring at the ground and just very confused. And uh, it occurred to her at some point that I probably would not remember this just because of my behavior, yep. uh, even though she herself at the time was not sure. But yeah, I said the, the, the last thing that I remember was the doctor, the emergency room doctor coming in, asking me some questions and saying, well, I think I need to refer this for a psych consult. That, that, that's kind of the last thing I remember. Yep. And she told me that I visited like with four other people after that, uh, you know, because admitting somebody to a hospital is, is not something that they take lightly, but it was the, the emergency room doctor coming in and talking to me for a few minutes is the last thing I remember. Uh, and obviously, uh, or not obviously, but at least where I was, a psychiatrist was the only one who could admit you uh, yes. to the psychiatric ward. So, so, you know, social workers came in and asked me questions, you know, orderlies, nurses, it, it just then the, the, the psychiatrist got there. I remember none of this. I remember none of this. It's, it's similar here where I think, I don't know if the psych necessarily has to see you, but they have to sign off on it. So someone else can do the assessment, um, but then it still has to be relayed via whoever's on duty, psych on duty for final sign-off for the actual admitting. So what? one thing I'm curious is uh, your friend who like picked up that something was wrong, Like, what sort of things did she actually see that made her think that something wasn't right because it sounds like obviously if you're in because the way i'm picturing this is if you're in this sort of um mindset that you know everything's good i just got to get organized and i just got to get this done um then you probably wouldn't look like you were sort of moping around and depressed and that kind of stuff because you were I'm assuming being quite proactive and organizing these things and, and, you know, confident of your decision and that kind of stuff. So what, what did she, what sort of thing, what would she have, what did she see? What did she pick up? The first thing that she thought was odd is that I rented what can only be described as a shithole apartment. Gabe at 25 made a good living. I, I had a really good job and I, I, I owned a house I, I was I, I drove a nice car. I had money in the bank. I, I ate at nice restaurants. So it, it struck her as odd that I went from living in this nice house to renting this this garbage apartment. Like it, it didn't it didn't make sense to her. Like why did you rent yep. this 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 crummy apartment? And uh, you know I. I I was just like, well, I don't, I don't, I don't need that much. I'm single. I, you know, I've got plans for it. Don't worry about it. I, uh, apparently I didn't answer honestly, or I did answer honestly, just incomplete. I, I don't really have a lot of, uh, I, I don't, you know, I, I didn't commit it to memory, yep. but the reason I rented a shithole apartment is because I was never planning on moving in. I, I just, it was an ends to a mean. I just, I just, you know, I needed to, I, I, I had a plan for it. Right. Yeah. yeah. She always described me as, as kind of somewhat prissy when it came to certain things, it, you, you know, and I, I don't mean that as an insult to me. I just, you know, I had a good job and it was yeah, yeah. important to me that my clothes fit correctly. And uh, so I did have my clothes tailored. I mean, it was business casual, but 
you know, a lot of people at business casual jobs, they just, they just go buy clothes off the rack and they, they get it done. I was, I was angling for a promotion. I really believed strongly in the dress for the job that you want, not for the job that you have. So yep. plus I was a bigger guy and you know, I'm, I know people can't see me, but at the time I was six foot three and, and very morbidly obese. So finding clothes that fit correctly to overcome you know, being overweight and trying to show people that, hey, I can swing with the big guys and, you know, advance in my career. All of these things were very, very important to me. So that just struck her as very, very odd. It, it didn't, it didn't fit. Didn't add up. Then of course, mm. she's trying to make all of these plans. You know, she's a nice person. She's like, uh, hey, uh, uh, are, are you going to hire movers? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I got it. She's like, oh, well, let me give you my movers. I'm like, oh, thanks. You didn't write it down. No, I got it. I'm good. Okay, well, you've picked a moving company then. Ah, yeah, yeah, it's fine. Hey, by the way, do you want this? Why are you giving that away? Well, because I'm moving and I don't have room in my new place. Okay, so so th- that that kind of makes sense, right? Yeah. You know, one of the things they always talk about if you're trying to look for the 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 telltale signs of suicidality is giving away possessions. Well, but if you're moving from a house to an apartment, you have to give away possessions. So it it, it did kind of shield it. Yeah. And uh, you know, look, she was a she was a she was a casual girlfriend you, you you know she wasn't she was somebody that hadn't been in my life very long so on one hand i would give her something she'd be like this seems very meaningful but on the other hand she'd only been around for a couple of months so just because it would be very meaningful to 99% of the population doesn't mean it's meaningful to this guy yep. you, you know this this guy doesn't give a shit about it he, yeah. he's just like hey i don't want it well that should be very meaningful well why because you told me it should be that doesn't make any sense this is garbage to me you know, some people worship beanie babies like they're gold. I think beanie babies are garbage. Uh, some people giving away their beanie baby collection would be a sign of suicidality. Me giving away beanie babies is a sign that I don't want that crap in my house. Uh, even though it's the same pro. So, so, you know, she struggled with these things as well. You know, then she started noticing, you know, piles of legal documents show up on the, on the table. And it, it, I just, apparently she was nosy, uh, which I guess, thank God, but <laughs> You know, she's like, well, this is weird. Um, and, you know, I, I, again, some of it was explainable. She's like, why are you changing all of your beneficiaries? I'm going through a divorce. Oh, all right. Yeah. It, it, it just eventually became too much for her. And too many I've asked her. Up at once. Yeah. And I've asked her numerous times, like, what pushed you over the edge? And she really doesn't know. Yeah. But as she points out, and I think this is a, a really, a really important lesson for people to learn. She was not sure. She was not positive. She just had like this suspicion that wouldn't go away. So she asked the question, Gabe, are you planning on killing yourself? I, she actually told me, and and I believe her just based on the way she freaked out that she fully expected me to say, what is wrong with you? Mm. My God, I'm going through a divorce. I have all of this stuff swirling around me. You're, you're just some woman that, you know, I'm sleeping with on the side and you're getting in my business. What's wrong with you? Well, why on earth would you think that I have a mental health problem? I have a really good job. Shame on you. Shame on you. But she she had enough. She was concerned enough that she asked. And mm. the reason that I think this is a really important question is because so many people are unwilling to ask unless they're positive they know what the answer is. Well, well, well thankfully, she did not subscribe to this. Uh, otherwise, uh, I, I might not be here. Mm. But yeah, there it was. And then she took the added step of tricking me into the hospital. <laughs> uh, you, you know, kudos to her. She well, saved my life. Glad she did. I am glad that she did too. And and listen, I was not glad that she did 
at, at the, the time. time there, there, there was, there was a couple of month period where I was very angry and people ask about that. They're like, well, I don't want my, my friend, my son, my child, my daughter, my loved one, my mom, my spouse to be mad at me. And I'm like, here's the thing about people who are mad at you. They're alive. You they can, you can mad. mend that. Yeah. You yeah. can mend that fence. Does it suck to have somebody that you care about mad at you for three months, six months, 12 months? Yeah. I, I'm not, yeah, I don't, I don't want anybody I love to be mad at me, but if I have to choose between them being mad at me and alive or them being not alive, I, I'm, I'm going to go mad at me and alive because I do believe that if they get the right care and they understand and they move along in the spectrum of, of, of you know, moving towards recovery and wellness and, and work with people like, like you, like you, Brock, you, you, you know, just, I, I, I don't want to pretend that I know your job, but I, I would be willing to bet almost anything that some client of yours at some point has confided in you that they are mad at their, you know, mother, brother, friend, et cetera, for doing something. And I would think that this would be an important occupational therapy moment because on one hand, you don't want to say you have no right to be angry because they have every right to mm -hmm. be angry. But you also don't want to say, you're right, you should never talk to your mom again for getting you help from your mental illness, because that's also shitty. So this is, this is where I'm fascinated by the work that people like you do, because validating anger is, mm -hmm. is so important, but validating anger and, and putting it in the right place, mm. because really what they're angry about is that they had this illness that was so out of control that somebody had to intercede on their behalf. They're not actually mad at mom, dad, brother, sister, friend, cousin, whomever. And that's, that's, that's been my experience clinically as well. Like people have confided, you know, that they're angry with family, friends, et cetera, like for completely aside issues. But for the majority, I think the majority of times people will tell me that it's usually because family and friends have rung me and the fact that I'm there is why they're angry. Um, so, um, yeah, it's, it's like you said, it's a matter of acknowledging the feeling. The feeling's legit. Like, I understand you don't, either don't want me here or even if we do have a really good relationship, the fact that you feel like, you know, a loved one has gone behind your back. Uh, and spoken to me or, or notified me of something. Um, so it's a matter of, you know, I understand that anger and that's completely valid. It's, you know, what can we, what can we do with it now? Is there something I can help with right now? I'm here anyway, so why not? Um, and yeah, it's going to be different for, for every individual. Everyone's different, so... And that's where anger is tricky, right? Yeah. I, I, anger, I think, is one of these emotions that really gets a bad rap. I, I think anger has a really important place in the world. But, you know, we're talking about mental health. So I, I think anger has a really important place in mental health and mental illness recovery. I am angry I have bipolar disorder. I am angry that I spent 25 years wanting to end my life and nobody noticed. I am, I am angry that I needed to be committed to a psychiatric hospital. I, I am angry at these things. And that's reasonable. Mm -hmm. why, why would you not be? You should be more worried if I'm thrilled 
Yeah. Hey, I'm bipolar. This is awesome. Yeah, I get to go to a psychiatric hospital. Ah, oh, people are discriminating against me left and right. Oh, I spent all my money this weekend. Like that's mania, right? Like that's that's really dangerous. So it, when, when red, people, red flags all over when you start saying know. that. <laughs> and when people are like, well, my loved one is so angry. My loved one is so angry. I always hit them with this question. What emotion should they have? Like, like sincerely, like what do you, do you want them to be excited? Do you, do you want them to like cry nonstop? Which, which by the way, crying nonstop is, is another reasonable uh, emotion when dealing with finding out that you have a, a lifelong chronic illness to maintain and deal with and one that is misunderstood and stigmatized and, and uh, just on and on and on and on and on. I, I get so frustrated with people who are like, well, anger is always bad. You should do whatever you can to get rid of it. Listen, that, that's like a half true statement, right? I do think that anger will rot you from the inside out. I, I did have to come to terms with the fact that, hey, I am angry that I have bipolar disorder, but being angry about it isn't going to fix it. So I need to use that anger to create like a spark, to create momentum, to, to fight back, to fix it, to work with people like Brock and lead the best life that I can in spite of this. But, you know, I was diagnosed 17 years ago and there is still a little piece of me in, in, the, in the farthest trenches of my being that is like, dude, why couldn't I be Bill Gates' son? Why couldn't I have perfect mental health and a billion dollar trust fund? Like that sucks. Like I'm looking around at all these other lives and opportunities and I, I see a better one. Why can't I have that? And being aware of that, I don't think is the problem. Dwelling on that is the problem because it prevents you from moving forward. But, but I, I, I still have to say, and, and I know I'm kind of beating the point into the ground because I just, I hear it so much in mental health advocacy. Don't be angry. Acceptance is valuable. Yeah. Yeah. Be angry. But yeah, acceptance is valuable and, and manage that anger in a, in a healthy way and use that anger as motivation. Don't let the anger consume you because frankly, don't let anything consume you. Water is healthy. Do not let water consume you. You will drown. Correct. I think um, on turn, like my, my perspective on the anger thing is I, it's one of those, there's like that and sadness and there's a couple other emotions where people see these are negative, we can't have these, we need to get rid of them, where my perspective is, like, every emotion you have is there for a reason. And say, for lack of a better term, a healthy, mentally healthy person is able to process all of these emotions, not just the happy ones, but they're able to process it. They're able to have anger, work through it, process it. They're able to be sad, work through it, process it it becomes an issue when that emotion starts controlling you instead of the other way around. And that's where that's sort of when I think, you know, therapy or intervention can be helpful. But up until that point, until it's actually, you know, if it's five years on and you're still angry that you kicked your toe on the coffee table, like that's a problem. (laughs) But like if it's five seconds after you've done it, yeah, I'd be pissed as well. So it's. I think that's one. That's a really good one for for therapists because I see that a lot in therapists. The same exactly as you described. Like, oh, 
you know, they're angry, we've got to get rid of I'm like, well, what's actually happened to them? Why are they angry today? They weren't angry yesterday when you saw them. So something has happened. People don't just generally get angry for no particular reason. Talk and I really them. feel bad that anger gets such a bad rap. And it, I, I see anger as the spark of, of so many things. Yeah. You know, in, in, in America, we have, a, a, you know, the, the civil rights movement that, you know, unfortunately is still going on today. But but this this all started in the 50s when, you know, minorities, African-Americans were like, what, what do you mean we can't vote? What do you mean we can't sit in the front of the bus? What do you mean we can't like this? They were angry about that, rightfully so, by mm-hmm. the way. And uh, they used that anger to spark change. Mm-hmm. And that's really good because if they weren't allowed to be angry, maybe we'd still have these godforsaken bullshit laws and it would just be awful. Mm-hmm. It would just be absolutely awful. And frankly, you should be angry about your country making you a second class citizen. But sitting around angry, that's not what led to change. Using that anger as the spark, mm. that's what has led to advancements in the civil rights movement, in in just so many things. I, I, I feel embarrassed to tell, you know, Australia, hey, in America, we still judge people based on the color of their oh. skin. And at one point in the not so distant past, uh, we used to not let them use water fountains because that was like, like what? And I say we because I'm white. Like that's even messed up, right? We like one, I wasn't alive, and two, it, it, that, it that's how messed up it is. I, I, and, and I wouldn't worry too much. Australia has uh, more. Probably. Is Australia racist too? Oh, yeah. Oh, actually, I thought you guys were like fun with koalas. I was going to say, if you listen to the episode that I just released, it's all about that. <laughs> So we do have koalas, but yeah, we have a deep-seated history of racism and yeah, it's unfortunately And this is worthy of being angry about. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And and people should be angry about that. And telling people not to be angry about it, well, that's just, well, isn't that convenient? Hmm. I did something negative to you. And now I'm telling you not to be angry about it. And it's it's the it's it's the same mechanism for you just got really bad news. You have bipolar mm-hmm. disorder, schizophrenia, major depression, severe anxiety. There is something wrong with your body. Mm. Oh, but don't be angry about it. Well, doesn't that just give space for the illness to progress? Being angry about it is a very reasonable thing. But but use that anger. Don't yeah. just sit there and say, I'm pissed I have bipolar and cross your arms and be angry. Be angry and push forward. And and I say put, I I I tend, I wrote the book, Mental Illness is an Asshole. And uh, I I I wrote an article about, hey, look, let let's personify bipolar disorder. Let's 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 personify schizophrenia, mental illness. Because if a person was treating you this way, hmm. if a person was was constantly letting you down, stabbing you in the back, lying to you, misleading you, and just just frankly, if a person was just constantly fucking with your life, you'd be pissed at that person. And you would set boundaries and you would fight back against that person because you would not want that person to hurt you. Hmm. This is an excellent, in my opinion, analogy for bipolar disorder or schizophrenia or major depression or just mental illness in general. That illness is messing with you. Mm. It's causing you problems. It's, it's, it's preventing you from living your best life. What would you do if a person did that? Do that except the illness fighting equivalent. Yep. And I, that helps clear things up for Gabe Howard. And 
people have told me that helps clear things up for them because so many people believe they're like, well, it's an illness. There's nothing I can do about it. Oh, well, that's just what that illness wants you to believe. Because if you can't do anything about it, the illness wins. Yep. If you can do something about it, ah, <laughs> ah. <laughs> and, and that, that was very empowering for me. That analogy and thought process works for me. And if it doesn't work for you, that, that, that's, that's fine. Mm. Find what does work for you. Find a way to mentally frame it so that you can fight back. And of course, it's going to look different for you. Uh, if this one works for you, you can have it free of charge uh but if it doesn't work for you find out what does yeah yeah there's 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 this this is why this is why occupational therapists exist to help you find what works for you you know some people they go running every morning i don't know what they're running from but that's just nuts they go outside and exercise those are two things that i just i just i just cannot be okay with the outside (laughs) i've got as long as there's coffee but yeah the run yeah i'm I'm okay i'll I'll believe So one car. (laughs) So one one thing in my experience, I've I've noticed when someone does say when they first get a diagnosis, there's one of two reactions generally, and I suspect I already know which one yours is. So it's usually that it's a complete surprise, and then you get all of those anger, shock, you know, scared sometimes. Or there's people that have been aware, and this generally, in my experience, happens with depression a bit more but it's the something's been they're aware that something's been wrong for a long time and it's like this big relief that they finally know it's it's finally got a name it's not me it's this diagnosis and they're the two sort of ways i suspect you were probably the oh shocked uh one of the two so uh, first off, yes, you, you are, you are a hundred percent correct. If we were playing Jeopardy, ding, 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 you get the points. I was completely and, and uh, uh, yeah, blindsided. I, I need a word bigger than blindsided <laughs> sucker punched. I, I mean, just, I, I was hit with a two by four while sleeping. That's because I, I didn't expect this at all. Yep. That said, I, I think it's important to understand the journey, right? The process. Mm. Yes. Yes, I, I was completely, I was shocked and terrified and scared and every other word that you can, you, you can pull out of a thesaurus to describe what happened to me. But that did lead way to relief. I, I, I found out that all of my feelings were not because I was weak. It was because I was sick. And I found out that because I was sick, there was things that I could do about it. I, I finally started to have like real conversations with my family. And uh, they, they told me, I, I, I love my mother. I, I want to be very, very clear. This is not going to lead to like mom bashing. I'm, I'm, I'm very, very, very sensitive to that. But when I told my mom I had bipolar disorder, she said, oh my God, I always called you my Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde child. And I'm like, but mom, you, you're, you're describing the symptoms of bipolar disorder. You didn't think to get me help. And she's like, well, no, you had a stable home. And I'm kind of running multiple conversations together there just, just yeah, to be yeah. completely fair. But my, my family, like I said, remember what I talked about? We had negative information. My, my father is a retired truck driver. So in my childhood, he, he was, you know, he was salt of the earth, union man, drove a truck. I mean, just he, he worked. My mom, stay-at-home mom. And th- this is going to blow you away. Are you ready? We ate dinner together as a family. Oh, I never heard of it. We did 
when, when you talk about like traditional family values, my family had it in spades. Yep. Like all of the things that people try to say, well, the reason that Gabe's bipolar is because you were alcoholics. Nope, didn't drink. Well, the reason that Gabe's bipolar is because uh, his mom worked outside the home. Nope. She, she was a stay at home mom. Well, the, the reason that Gabe's bipolar is because they lived in an apartment and not a house. Nope. Lived in a house. Well, the reason that Gabe's bipolar is because they lived in a crappy neighborhood. No, it was a nice neighborhood. You know, just, just on and on. My family was engaged and they loved me. I, mm. I, I joke always that the only things that my parents did wrong was have two other kids, my brother and sister. <laughs> that's their, that's the, that's their biggest fault. Uh, no, all joking aside, I just, they're, it became a value system in my family. Gabe can't be mentally ill because we love him. Mm. We're engaged parents. And, and listen, they were. Mm. I, I, I can't be any more clear. They were. And this is what's messed up. That we, we did not see it coming because we believed television. Just, just, just we believed pop culture. We believed that mental illness was caused by, frankly, bad environments, crummy mm. people, crummy parents, uh, you know, drug Such use, alcoholism, uh, just whatever. Yeah. yeah. We believed all of this. We believed every, every bullshit article we ever read that said that the downfall of America, the closest thing we had is I did listen to heavy metal. I, I, I guess maybe bipolar disorder was caused by 1980s heavy metal. I, I know that was a scary thing for a while, but, but listen to how, I mean, honestly, it's 2020. Listen to how messed up that sounds. The uh, reason that Gabe has bipolar disorder is because the music he listens to. What are you, stupid? These are the things that people were considering back in 1989 and 1994. And th this, is, this was the level of understanding that we had. And it was just based on just incredible nonsense. Mm. Just, just outright, like, nonsense is too nice of a word. Like, nonsense can be fun, right? The last Adam Sandler movie <laughs> was nonsense. That was hilarious. <laughs> Like this is, this is, this is some sort of like Nazi level propaganda that allows severe and persistent mental illness a way to just needlessly and endlessly attack not only the person who suffers from it, which was me, but just imagine the ramifications this had on my family. Uh, they're, they're, they're trying to raise this mentally ill child who they think is having a behavioral problem. Um, imagine if I would have completed suicide then, then my mom and dad would just, they, they would have lost their son. Mm. Just, 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 just imagine the horror show and all because nobody understood. Mm. And it's not because the, the, the signs were there. We just didn't know. Didn't know what the signs were. Yeah. And this is why I became an advocate. Uh, honestly, it, 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 it's why I started talking about it. I am, it is not lost on me. One, how lucky I am, mm. how lucky I am to have run into somebody who got me help who was able to afford help, who had health insurance to pay for help, who had money to pay for extra care, who lived in a big city that had all kinds of care options available, that had a supportive family that rallied around me and made sure that, you know, I took my pills, got to the doctor, was, was you know, taken care of and stable in times that I could not be stable. Like, all of that is just based on like a tremendous amount of luck, right? Mm -hmm. But I'm also lucky because now that I'm well, my family is like, look, here's what I need you to do. I need you to tell the world everything we screwed up. Just everything. You know, some 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 families are like, no, don't don't talk about living with bipolar disorder. That's embarrassing. That's yeah, shameful. Yeah. And my family is like, you know, you've got a big mouth and we probably can't control it. So have at it. That's luck. 
Not all families would be okay with having their, what many people consider dirty laundry aired nationally uh, on a weekly basis. Yeah. My family is okay with it. And I, I think that speaks volumes to what we went through as a family and their now understanding yeah. of mental illness and mental health. Um, because I, I imagine it's not awesome for them to hear how they're missing the symptoms of bipolar disorder almost killed their child. Like I imagine as a parent, that's, that's, that's uh, yeah, probably I kind of a shitty thing be, to hear. That would be difficult. <laughs> yeah. So sorry, mom and dad, but, but yeah, you did it. <laughs> I mean, what's up with that? <laughs> so how long, how long, were, so when you got admitted, how long were you in there for? I was in the hospital for uh, four or three nights and four days. Okay. Uh, it was, it was a pretty, it was a pretty short stay. Yep. Uh, all, all things considered, uh, you know, I, I could probably talk about that for two hours. I, I, I probably should have been in longer, but you know, beds are, there was a, it, it's, there, there's not a lot of room at the inn, and I was released to a stable family, yep. uh, stable people. Uh, whereas, you know, some of the people who maybe they didn't have a stable place to go. So they, they, it, it, these these are tough calls. Yeah, yeah, it's another reason I'm an advocate. Like I, I really think that we should all stay until we're perfect, right? Like nobody sends you home with half cancer. Uh, and actually, that's not even true. I don't know why I said that. This happens in America all the time, where they send you home with half cancer because your insurance stops paying or because you don't have insurance. But that's not right. And I think that people right. think that that's not right. But in mental health, we're we're more okay with it, I guess. America's messed up. <laughs> like. <laughs> Oh, all like of this just, keep, like a broken country. You keep saying that, but all of these things, like even if even in some part, I think happen in the rest of the world as well. They they do. Yeah. They they do. And it's it's the the difference is, is the rest of the world doesn't claim to be the richest, wealthiest, and smartest nation in America. That's so true. the fact that the yeah. the fact that the the wealthiest and smartest and most powerful nation in America <laughs> has the exact same problems as all of the nations that we look down on shows that maybe we're not doing as great as we think we are. Uh, yeah. You, you know, I, I don't know what the homeless situation is in Australia, but not only do we have like a lot of homeless people, we're just okay with it. Like we don't even care. We're just like, yeah, those people are homeless. And then we go on about our day. Like it's nothing like it's nothing. Like this, this, this bothers me to my core yeah. that we can say that we're the wealthiest nation in the entire planet and not give a shit about the homeless. Oh, we're also a Christian nation. Did I, did I leave that out? So I don't, I don't get it. And it, 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 it speaks volumes, I think, to the misunderstanding of mental illness, because I think that people justify this by saying, well, the reason those people are homeless is because they won't get a job or because yeah. they don't want to work or because they're lazy. And uh, if that were the case, yeah, then I wouldn't give a shit either. That, that's not the case. There, there's something very wrong. Something has gone very wrong and they need our love, support and assistance. And we're unwilling to provide it because we've just painted them with this, oh, they're lazy brush. And, and I, I, I think that's very shameful. I, I do. I, I really, really do. Because listen, that, that really could have been me. Just you, you remove my health oh, insurance, I, you remove my money, you remove my anyone. family. Uh, I would be living under a bench right now and everybody would walk past me and saying that guy's just lazy. 
Yeah. And that's why I say I'm lucky. Yeah. Because the thing that prevented me from living under a bridge is nothing that I earned. Hmm. It, it, it's my mom and dad. It's my friends. I didn't, I didn't earn them. They just, I, I kind of inherited them, frankly. <laughs> <laughs> Mostly for the good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Mostly for good. But no, I just, I, I sincerely, th- there's this phrase out there that says, you know, everybody in America is three bad months away from becoming homeless, but almost nobody in America is three good months away from becoming a millionaire. And I think that's very vital to consider. I've had many, 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 many good months. Mm-hmm. And that just keeps me even. But three bad months will make me homeless. Like, what's up with that? I just, how, how can I have three good months and become a millionaire? And the answer is, is, is really, huh? We don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Because if you ask for a raise, you're greedy. Uh, if you unionize to get more money, you're greedy and somehow mean to management. It's, it's, it's a messed up system that we have trying to move forward. And you can really, really, really see it when it comes to sick people, especially sick people who have, uh, it's mental health, right? I, it's a, it's a mental issue. So when I was really sick, I was not thinking clearly. I, I, I could not focus. I could not understand being told to do stuff that's in my best interest with my brain. That is literally just that it's just so unfair. Mm. It, it, it's like asking a guy with no legs to run the Boston marathon. And then when he says he can't, you're just like, well, you're lazy. And then you just move on. You're, you're not considering that individual situation in your request. Yeah. yeah. So when you went in the hospital, you had zero idea that you had bipolar. Uh, you came out a week later. How, I'm assuming a fair bit of education happened during that week and you probably learned about what bipolar was. I'm assuming, did you get your diagnosis in hospital? I should have checked that. Yeah, yeah, I got it. Uh, I got it the next morning. Yep. Uh, yeah, a doctor sat down and was like, hey, you're bipolar. I was like, oh, great. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I'd imagine going, so you went into hospital with no clue. You've come out with this diagnosis. What sort of adjustment, like what, what sort of things did you have to sort of get used to? Um, I'd imagine there would have been a lot of behaviors that you previously wouldn't have even thought of that now you were like, is that the bipolar or is that me? Um, what was that transition going back home like? To to circle back to getting the bipolar diagnosis, I I I really think it's important to point out that at, at that time in my life, I only knew one other person who had bipolar disorder, and that was a gentleman named Kurt Cobain. And Kurt Cobain was the lead singer of of the alternative rock band Nirvana, and by this point, he had he had already died by suicide. So I, I'm I'm thinking to myself, I'm dead. I mean, honestly, mm. uh, Kurt Cobain was, was a, a, a multimillionaire. He was world famous. He was a once-in-a-lifetime musical talent. And more importantly, he needed to be alive to make a whole bunch of other millionaires. Mm. So people had like a real vested interest in helping this man financially. And yeah, I, he still could not beat bipolar disorder. He, he, still, he still died from bipolar disorder. So here I am, a 25-year-old schlub from Ohio. I, I'm not wealthy. I'm not world famous. Nobody's income is dependent on my life. I, yeah. What, what hope did I have? I, I mean, sincerely, like what, what hope did I have? Mm. So that was, those were my, that was like my first moment. 
just just like oh well all right well it's just a matter of time for this ends poorly and uh, you know I, I say that maybe funny now but it, it wasn't funny then i was just i was just a wreck and i i believed this for the next 24 hours that i was just dead i i i also believed that i was going to have to go to like rehab or a group home i i really had no understanding of what the treatment for bipolar disorder was i i also believed that it was just luck that i hadn't killed my family because I, I really associated mental illness and violence in the same thought. I, again, remember, we got all of our education from television. And all Hollywood. Yeah. And so it was, it, was, it was devastatingly awful. I was given a pamphlet when I was diagnosed. You know, that was nice. And, and, and I mean that like sincerely, it was nice. Because I read the pamphlet. And, and the, the good news is, is I did recognize that I, I fit the pamphlet immediately. So I... I it was reassuring that these people knew what they were talking about. They're like, this is what, you know, yeah. They're like, this is what bipolar disorder is. These are the symptoms. These are the, I'm like, oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's Gabe. Uh, that's yeah. Yeah. I, I have this, this is, this is for certain. Um, but of course, you know, medical pamphlets, they, they can't promise anything. Right. Uh, you know, they, they, they have vague imagery, like, you know, you know, with proper treatments, people with bipolar live a normal life. Well, yeah, just like Kurt Cobain. Yeah, so I don't believe you. You have to say that. This, this is the required. This is the required text that all pamphlets have. You, you know, show me a cancer pamphlet that says if you have been diagnosed with this, you will die. No, they. No, no matter how, if you've got a one in a million chance of living, when they hand you that pamphlet, mm, all it talks it. about is your treatment options and how you'll be fine. Mm. So, and I get it. I'm not. I don't. I'm not please do not rewrite all the pamphlets but the very fact that it says hey with treatment you can recover is not very reassuring in a medical pamphlet so it wasn't very reassuring to me later that day i went to a support group that that maybe started the 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 trend of maybe having a better understanding of what bipolar disorder was and how it was managed you know they did give me medications which, you know, were kind of a mixed bag, right? I mean, it's, it was kind of scary to be on meds. I, I didn't really understand them. Uh, you know, I, I didn't have any peers who were on medication. You know, we're all 25. Mm. I mean, yeah, so yeah. It, 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 it was a very scary and confusing time. That, that's really the best way that I can put it. It was, a, it was a confusing time, and being that confused, it was terrifying. And I took all of that... And I just moved forward. I, I was released from the hospital after four days, like you said. And I, 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 sorry, let me start that over. I was released from the hospital after four days, like you said, but I was released into what in America is called community care. So it's not like I left the hospital and I was done. I was given a referral to a psychiatrist. I was referred to what's considered outpatient treatment. So I was still in treatment for the next six weeks. I went to what, what, what I, what they call a day program. So you, you still wake up at home and then you drive to the hospital, you go to like eight hours worth of, you know, classes, art therapy, you know, just, just all kinds of stuff. I imagine it's where occupational therapy would fit in More than likely, in, yeah. in, in America. Yeah. And, and then, you know, around four o'clock you go home for the day and you spend the evening at home, you sleep at home and then you wake up and you do the next thing. So it's like a step down program, right? Yep. So over the next uh, four weeks, 
I went through a lot of those programs and I started to get, you know, I, I met with a psychiatrist because, you know, they only gave me an, enough medicines for a, a few months or I'm sorry, a few weeks. So I needed to meet with a psychiatrist and it, it, it you know, out of the hospital. And then I met with a therapist out of the hospital. And so the next few months were getting all of those things together. And in those few months, I, I realized just how wrong we're just going to go with wrong. Everything was, I, I, I mean, it was, uh, it was just so wrong. I, I, I believed so much misinformation that it, it just, it just could have filled a book. Yeah. And that was, of course, very reassuring. And I think a turning point for me was about a month out, maybe a month and a half. You know, it kind of blurs together after after 17 years. I went to a support group called Bipolar Bears, and I picked it because it was called Bipolar Bears and it didn't sound scary. I it was it was it sounded cutesy. It seems safe. Sounds like bad news bears. Yeah. Yeah. And it was, it was four people with bipolar. It had a cutesy name and it met at a convenient time in a convenient location. And I went to that group and in the first or second meeting, there was a woman who was older than me. You know, remember I'm about 25. She was probably about 40. If, if I'm guessing, I don't know her name. I know nothing about her, but one of the things that she talked about was her husband and her two children. And, uh, and feeling overwhelmed, getting the kids ready, managing her day, and all of that stuff. But but forget about all of that. Here's what I heard. Woman with bipolar disorder, spouse, children, house. And I wanted that so bad. I I, I wanted to be married. I wanted to be a dad. I I I I wanted to have a family. I I wanted to fit in. And and it, her problems. It, I, I'm not trying to diminish them, but they sounded very normal to me. Yeah, yeah. You, you know, work-life balance. You know, the the, the kids are uh, annoying in the morning. You know, we don't get everything done during the weekends. I feel like I have no time to relax, and I get overwhelmed. And all I could think of was if I can get to that point, and she did. Yep. And uh, and and she was she was very articulate. She was an intelligent woman. I, I couldn't even tell you what she looked like if, if if you brought her in right now. Gabe, this is the woman. I'd be like, all right, I, I have no idea. I don't I don't know if she was short, tall. I honestly I don't even remember. I, I remember nothing about her. I just remember that she was a person with bipolar disorder that was leading the life that I wanted to have. Yep, that's pretty motivating. That was a big turning yeah. point for me. Because after all, it's easier to do something when somebody else has done it. Well, it's, that's, <laughs> it's, that's, as much as I hate to say it, works. it is. If you can see that there's, if you can see the possible endpoint is possible, right? It makes it easier to get your head around the whole like I can do this too. When people talk about peer support in terms of mental illness, I know that sometimes it gets a bad rap, especially in the states. You know, people say things like, well, isn't this just the the inmates running the asylum? Isn't this the blind leading the blind? And I say, you know, look, it, it, it's got a place. Mm. The The fact of the matter is, is I, I do want to talk to other people who have been where I've been, who understand the shorthand, who understand the lingo, 
who don't try to correct uh, the way that I speak. You know, I'm bipolar. No, you're a person living with bipolar. Look, I'm fucking bipolar and I'm sad about it. Like that's, the, we, we have like our own little language. Yep. And that has a very important, to me, again, to, to Gabe Howard only, uh, and I believe many other people, that has a very important quality to allow us to be more present when we meet with occupational therapists and psychologists and because that's a different vibe, right? Mm. And I understand why you know, people like you spend all of your time redirecting. I understand why you're like, hey, we, we need to be solutions focused. Like that's, that's really vital for your career. But it's also really vital to me to bitch about my mom. And to say, how could they do this? How could they not know? How she called me your Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde child. And having a peer say, Yeah, your mom fucked up. What yeah, yeah, of course she did. You over it now? You done? Yeah, I'm good. They they don't give advice, they don't try to fix it. They're just like, Yeah, my mom messed up too. But you know, now we vacation together. FYI, do not vacation with your parents. Do not. Just do not. <laughs> my father turned on the heat in the desert. I that it was the de- we were in Las Vegas. It was 105 degrees outside. He turned on the heat because he was cold. Who does this? <laughs> You're He's a good man and I yeah. love him. Who <laughs> does this? <laughs> I, I, I think that, but, it, but it's everything, right? I, it, it's, it's like saying, hey, you have a house. You like your house? Brock, you like your house? Yeah. Okay. Which thing can I m- remove from your house? Okay. Can I remove your electric, your plumbing, your roof? or walls like like what what do you agree to get rid of and you're just like i need all of them yeah i want all of them oh no 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 the the roof isn't as important as electric with electric you can get heat i this is a stupid conversation i want all four yeah and that's how i feel in in the mental health community you know it's like well who's more important medication therapist peer support doctors yoga why not have it all like like why are why are we trying to put this in order I think that's one of the issues everywhere with mental health care is too often it's, and I was saying earlier, like even here, there's this hierarchy of professions and I don't, I don't, well, one, I don't see why other than just historical factors, but there's no point in having a hierarchy of factors because all professions work with people that do, we're doing different stuff. Like, like you said, it's just picking, you know, which of these would you like and which are you going to ignore? Well, for good holistic care, you want a bit of everything, I would think, including peer support. It's, it's, it is actually a big thing over here. Um, and it's, it's seen as valuable. It's seen as important and it's seen as something that the health service is putting money into as well, which is good. Um, but it's 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 valuable. But I'm not threatened that you know the peer support workers are going to do what the OT does, or that the psych's not worried that I'm going to start doing what the psych's doing, because everyone's doing different things. We've all got different skill sets, and we work in theory. We're supposed to be working together uh, to provide people with what they need. And I think that we need to understand when we're trying to figure out which one to get rid of, something's gone wrong. Yeah. You know, go go back to the example that I gave of your house where you have to decide if you want to get rid of plumbing, electric, the roof, mm. uh, the walls. It, it just you may well be in that situation someday. You may have to decide, you know, look, the, the electric and the roof broke at the same time. Which one do I want to get fixed? Mm. And you may have to make some hard decisions because, you know, unfortunately, life is unfair. 
you may well find yourself in a position where your electric, your plumbing, and your roof all break at the same time, and you have to make hard decisions about which one you want to fix because you can't afford to fix them all. But one, I'd like to point out that people would then understand that's a hard decision, that it, that it's that the best decision is to fix all three mm-hmm. and that you are in a bad way, that, that something has gone wrong, that you have to choose between them. And, and, and now it's a free for all. You, you know, this is people try to say, no, 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 this is so obvious. You would fix the roof, the plumbing, and then the electric. Well, but you don't know what person's assets you know, they have. And, and by assets, I mean, like, you're really close with your neighbor. Mm. And your neighbor is like, look, fix your roof, fix your plumbing, and I'm going to run an extension cord from my house over to your house. So your electric is still going to be broken, mm. but I can help you in this way. Or maybe you live next to a gas station. And you're like, look, I can't fix the plumbing, but hey, at least I can walk over to the gas station and use the bathroom or whatever. Maybe the the leak in the roof, you can stick a bucket under. And while it sucks to hear the clink, 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 at least that's an option. But but everybody is different and everybody's illness is different. So to pretend that it's just so easy to put these in order of, of most important to least important really takes out the fact that everybody is different. Because yeah, yeah. Gabe Howard probably can put them in order of most important to least important. To Gabe Howard. And that would hold true for Gabe Howard. Mm. And that's where it would end. Because frankly, I don't need peer support. You know why I don't need peer support? Because I got a really supportive family and I've been in recovery for, for, for 15 years. Mm. So I, I could probably get away with not having peer support anymore. All that said, I, I want peer support. I like peer support. Do I go to weekly support groups like I did when I was newly diagnosed? No, absolutely not. But I adore sitting around and talking to other people who have been diagnosed with bipolar disorder or major depression or anxiety and just being like, hey, 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 your wife suffer from depression? No, mine either. Isn't that annoying? Like, isn't it annoying? <laughs> She's so happy. And we laugh. And, but it's, it's a healthy conversation. And it's not the kind of conversation that I need to have with a therapist yeah. or a doctor. But yeah, every now and again, I glare at my wife and I think, you are so lucky to never have been depressed. <laughs> but I'm not willing it on her. And that's, I, I, I think it's a healthy thing to be curious about. And that, that's, that's, that's really the point, right? These are just things that people are curious about and they want to, they want to discuss with other people who keep them in check. Letting this fester inside, it's unfair that she gets to be happy. It's unfair. Then it, then it grows. And before you know it, it's resentment. And I, I think that's the value of a lot of this stuff that people don't understand. Resentment builds so easy in those of us who are the most mentally healthy. So you can only imagine how easy it builds in somebody who has an anxiety disorder or suffers from depression or mm. who has been manic or has psychosis or it, 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 it's like wildfire. And it, it it's it it can be a scary thing. And being grounded by you know a therapist or peers or occupational therapy or whatever it is you use can just mean a world of different. What sort of well, uh, what sort of behaviors or symptoms have you had to manage since being diagnosed? Because I would imagine that you were on medication, may have taken care of some of them for you but there would have still been some things that you would have had to learn alternative ways to to cope with and manage as well 
Yeah. So that's the, I think in, in some ways that's the misunderstanding of uh, medication treatment for, uh, well, frankly, pretty much anything. When I was unmedicated, the mood swings were so intense and just, just the, the sway was so big that there's just no way that I could control it. The, the medication pushes that together. So let's say that we're using one being suicidal depression and 10 being godlike mania and, and, and the spectrum back and forth. And that's bipolar disorder, right? So obviously unmedicated, sometimes I'm one where I think I'm garbage and I need to die and my grandma won't miss me. And sometimes I think that I'm God, king of the world, and I know everything and that I cannot die. And, and then sometimes I'm five and sometimes I'm seven and sometimes I'm three, right? So with the medication, I, I'm still kind of a moody guy. But I'm no longer one to 10. I'm now three to seven. And obviously the, the goal is to be like four five and six, right? Mm. So, so three is still problematic where we're, nobody is pretending that three is okay. Uh, and nobody is pretending that, that seven is okay. You, you know, that we're, we're, for the purpose of this example, the healthy human range of emotion is four, five, and six. So I do need to be careful when I move to three that, hey, it is temporary. Mm. But that's the thing. Because I'm on medication, that becomes much easier to control. I, I don't go from, you know, before I had medication, I would go from 10 to one in an hour uh, or a day. I, I would go from one to 10 in an hour or a day. It was whiplash trying to control it. And mm. it, it, the, the mood swings were so intense, I wouldn't even remember it. It's like, dude, yesterday you said that nobody would miss you if you die. And now you're telling us to kneel before you because you are Zod. <laughs> Who the hell is Zod? Oh, you just watched Superman and now you think you're Superman. Okay. Uh, it, it, it's weird, right? Yeah. With the medication, that becomes much easier to control and it, it moves it slower. Yep. So I'm on four and I can feel myself sliding to three. Okay. And that lets me do all kinds of things. Yep. One of those things is perspective. Why am I sliding? And by perspective, let's take a hard look at your lifestyle over the last few days. Have you been staying up all night watching movies? Have you been eating nothing but junk food? Uh, are, are you, you know, like, like what lifestyle decisions have you made over the past couple of days or couple of weeks that may have led to this? Oh yeah, look, you're, you're sleeping two hours a night because you're on vacation. Yeah, that's, that's a bad idea. Sleep hygiene is very important. You need to go to bed on time and get up on time. I, I can do things like, hey, have you been taking your medicine correctly? You know, the, the, the medicine works when you take it correctly. And here's, here's kind of the, 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 I take my meds right before I go to bed and right when I get up. So if I'm staying up really, really late and getting up really early, that starts mucking with the med schedule, right? Yep. Uh, so that's problematic. You know, junk, I mean, I'm eating nothing but junk food. Also, let, let's take a hard look at what else is going in your life. Remember, we are real people. You, you know, it just, maybe I'm at a three. And, and we can all agree that that's bad. And I look around and uh, there was a death in my family. Or my wife just had surgery and there was a complication and I've been taking, I've been her sole caregiver for the last six weeks. Mm. Yeah, maybe feeling a three isn't so abnormal. Uh, but it, it's it's still something that I need to pay attention to because you don't want the three to become a two. Yeah, so, yeah. but the medication gives me all of that perspective. And in the case of uh, like my wife having the complication and me being her caregiver, that, that that's an absolute true story. And it made me say to my friends, Hey, look, 
I, I need some help here. It, it's really important that I go to bed on time and get up on time. Now, my wife is fine. Everybody, she, she's fine. It only lasted Good. a couple of weeks. But for a couple of weeks, it was really difficult because I, I was tasked with a lot more than I was capable of handling. But I had perspective. See, Gabe on Medicated would have been like, I'm the husband. I love her. I die for this woman. And I just keep pushing forward until critical mass was reached. And boom, it was a dangerous situation for both of us. Yeah, yeah. Having perspective made me say, hey, can my mother-in-law come over and take care of my wife during the day? And that way there's less for me to do in the evening when I get home from work or whatever. Yep. Uh, all of these things become very, very valuable. There's also humility in being willing to ask for help. And, and honestly, one of the hallmarks of specifically bipolar disorder is this, is this, you know, is, is grandiosity and mania. Nobody asks for help if they think they're the best at it. Well, would and you? that's completely, well, right. that's completely reasonable. Yeah. So having the medication has made me a more humble person because it has cut off access to that grandiosity and that mania. Uh, it also helps with anxiety. Like, you know, maybe one of the reasons I don't want somebody to come help me is because I'm worried that they'll think I'm a bad husband. Hmm. Well, if the anxiety was out of control, why well, I, I, I can't have your mother come. She'll think that I'm a bad husband and she'll hate me and she'll tell you to divorce me. So now I put us in harm's way because the anxiety is so bad. So you can see where all of those things come together. Yeah, yeah. And, and finally, the, the, the last bit to kind of close this out is having access to all of that is something that you then have to learn in therapy. You're thinking, how does Gabe know all of this? Did he just take the meds and all of a sudden this magically appeared? No, no. I, I was not, yeah, I was not used to having this, this level of understanding or feelings or I, I, I did not know how any of this worked. Why would I? I'd never, I'd never had to access or use them before. So I needed to learn that they existed. I needed to learn about coping mechanisms. I needed to learn it was okay to take a break. I needed to learn how to, you know, do breathing exercises for panic attacks. I needed to learn what a panic attack was. For the longest time, I thought that all panic attacks were hunger pains. Yeah, I just thought that everybody, when they were hungry, their heart started racing, they started to sweat, they got dizzy, and their, their, their mind raced, and things were blurry, and they couldn't stand. I legitimately thought that was what hunger was. Why wouldn't I? I, I didn't know what else it could be. Yeah, fair. So I had to learn all of that. But the medicine allowed me to learn it all. So that's how come when people say, well, what's more important, medicine or therapy? Look, if I didn't have the medicine, I wouldn't have understood therapy. But if I took the medicine without therapy, I, yeah, I, I wouldn't have understood. All, I, I wouldn't have been able to understand all of these things that the medication allowed me to access. So frankly, it, it's, I, I needed them both to be perfectly well. Yeah. And uh, also, frankly, the therapy allowed me to understand what medication does and what medication won't do. And look, a lot of people with bipolar disorder and mental illness, you know, they go off their meds because they don't understand limitations or certain things. And unfortunately, doctors don't have time to teach that to you. I, I learned a lot of that in therapy. And I learned a lot of that in peer support and, mm. and a lot of, you know, unfortunately, cautionary tales. <laughs> a ton of cautionary tales. Because <laughs> that's one of the things I think, yeah, I mean, working in mental health for so long, that's one of the things I've seen many, 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 many times. And not just with bipolar, with heaps of different conditions that people are taking medications for. Um, the same thing happens with antibiotics. As soon as people start feeling well, they're like, oh, these have done their job. I don't need these anymore. 
And it might not be the next day, it might not even be the next week, but there's very few people that I've ever worked with that have used that specific excuse that haven't slid back into where they were, or sometimes even worse. Yeah. Now, I do think, like you said, that comes from not fully understanding, I guess, the purpose of the medication, Uh, and... Not only that, but its place within this whole system of therapy and therapists and you know peer support and all of this, like it has a place. It's you could, I, I like to look at it as another health professional. It's a health professional with a specific set of skills, and it it too, like the rest of us, has a very specific place in that person's care. It's not going to fix it on its own. And in some cases, you're not going to fix it without it. Same as any other health professional in that mix. It's fascinating to me. And, you know, I just, I've got a million analogies, but it's fascinating to me that that people readily understand that you need, you know, 10 different skill sets to build a house or a car or, you know, any major uh, appliance that we have. It, it, it's not shocking to people that, you know, electricians don't know how to do plumbing, right? They, they all get it. Mm. They, they, they get that you need multiple skill sets to work on a house. It, yeah. And a house isn't alive, right? Like we understand that, right? This is the human body. Mm. <laughs> and they're like, no, 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 no. We just need one. Like just, just one we are bit. at our core. We're just an extraordinarily complex machine. And needing multiple types of people to work on our brains should not be shocking. And, and, and frankly, that's really where this analogy should end up. When it comes to physical health, they understand that you have a general practitioner, you have a cardiologist, you have uh, an oncologist, you have on and on and on. But for some reason with the brain, it's one size fits all. There's one doctor, handles everything. It, it, it's not realistic. The brain is extraordinarily complicated, as are hearts as our lungs, as our skeletal systems, as our bones, as our, what is it? Dermatology, skin. I mean, just on and on. And I just, so it's fascinating to me that on one hand, I think people have a very good understanding of this, Mm. but on the other hand, the minute we start talking about our brains, they're like, Nope. I look, I, Hang on, let me pull my soapbox out here. I, I don't understand why <laughs> mental health and physical health has been separated. I sincerely don't. We always say that. Well, this is my physical health, not my mental health. Well, this is my mental health, not my physical health. Why isn't it all just health? So first and foremost, I can't help but notice that your brain is in your body, which, which makes it physical health, right? Like, no, this is my personality and the way that I see the world, right? That's coming from your brain. I just... I. I, I, I suppose on like a very semantic level, you, you've got like a small point, like we talk about the cardiovascular system. But when we talk about the cardiovascular system, we, we don't say, well, we're working on Gabe's physical health today. We say we're talking about Gabe's cardiovascular system. Mm. But for some reason, everything for mental health is just mental health. Yeah. Hey, we're working on Gabe's mental health today. What are you doing? We're working on Gabe's mental health. Well, what specifically? Gabe's mental health. I know, but what's going on? Gabe's mental health. So you mean to tell me that somebody who is experiencing grief after the death of a loved one and somebody who is experiencing psychosis and schizophrenia and believes that ants are boring through all of their skin and that they're being chased by a demon, 
right. We would describe them both as suffering from mental health issues. Mm. You, you don't see any difference there. Nope. But, but again, on physical health, we would fire that doctor. <laughs> Hi, I'm here to discuss my cardiovascular system. You mean your physical health problems? I mean, you have a physical health problem because you had a heart attack and Gabe has a runny nose. So he also has a physical health problem. <laughs> All right. You're a quack. I'm out. I, but yet we don't see it over in mental health. Yeah, yeah. I, it's all health. Just th that, that's all I want people to understand. Just, just it's all health. If our minds works and our body doesn't, we're not happy. If our bodies work and our mind doesn't, we're not happy. We need to start looking at this as healthcare. I, I don't understand why we don't. I, I, I've asked so many people, so many people, and nobody has a good answer for this. But yet nothing's changing. It's 2020. We still have mental health and physical health. I've I got I've nothing. Done a few episodes uh, discussing similar things. Um, yeah, that's that's something. And again, it's it's the same setup over here. You have people who work in mental health. You have people who work in physical health. There are very very few teams that bridge both gaps or bridge that gap between both worlds. Um, but you're right. And, and something that we've said on this show a heap is that there's no health without mental health. Like it's don't care if you break your leg and you're in physical rehab, there are mental health aspects to that that need to be addressed. Uh, it's, it's something that I'm pushing. <laughs> it's an agenda. And that's what really makes me the saddest of all people with, with, with severe and persistent mental illness, you know, we, we feel so alone mm. and we feel so isolated and we feel like we're the only ones that have ever had this issue. Mm. And in reality, 100% of the population at some point has had a mental health issue. Now, no, of course not. No, not a hundred percent of the population has bipolar disorder, schizophrenia, major depression, but, but listen, the, the day that your loved one dies, that is not going to be your best day mentally. When, when, you've worked, uh, when you've worked an 80 hour shift and you've gotten three hours of sleep a night because the baby is colicky and you have to take care of your child. So you're operating on like 10 hours of sleep for, with, with, with bills stacked up and you know, your, your, your spouse is out of town for their job and you feel all the, the, these are not good moments. Uh, emotionally or mentally, Th these are mental health issues. And we, we tend not to acknowledge them as such. Are they as severe as bipolar disorder or schizophrenia or major depression? No, no, of, of course they're not. But who cares? Hmm. Listen, when I have the flu, it does not comfort me to know that somebody else has an illness that is going to kill them eminently. I think that we just both have a unique set of problems. I, I'm trying to get over the flu and they may be at the end stages of a terminal illness. And to quantify both of us as physical health mm. would be stupid, but there, there is some understanding there. You know, when, when I see somebody who does have a terminal illness and I see that they're in pain, even though I have never had a terminal illness, I do understand the pain. that's, that's scary mm. and that they're in pain. And uh, again, I, I'm not saying that, that, that their pain is my pain or that mm. I can understand completely. I can't, you can empathize. but I do understand that there is, there is some empathy needed. 
I would never walk up to somebody with a terminal illness and say, I've never had a terminal illness. <laughs> Weak. How could you have a terminal illness? Ah, well, what's wrong with people these days? You know, back in my day, we never had terminal illnesses. You know, I don't believe in this terminal illness muckety muck. I, it, it's, that's what bothers me the most. Even mm. people who have never had a terminal illness have empathy, compassion, and caring for people with terminal illnesses because they know that it could happen to them. And mm. that scares them enough to being compassionate. People with mental health issues, they or people who are suffering from mental health issues, people are mean to them because they think that it can never happen to them. And when I say mean, I just mean, I don't mean like, like maliciously attacking, right, but like just dismissive, dismissive yeah. or, yeah, you know, lack of understanding. Or my favorite one, they don't bring us a casserole. You know, when I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder, nobody brought me food. Uh, if I would have been diagnosed with with something else, I, I, there, there's, there's a pretty good chance that somebody would have brought me a casserole. In fact, they used food uh, to it, trick you to get into hospital. Yeah, they did use food. Uh-huh. To, yeah, food was a weapon to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But but you understand what I'm saying, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I just and I, I think that 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 is uh, that's something that we we need to consider because I I think that if people acknowledge that hey they have mental health as well, they would be a little more understanding when somebody has a more serious version of 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 a mental health issue. And uh, that's, that's the thing that I, I think is sorely missing. I think the majority of people who are dismissing, dismissive and not understanding and say the hurtful things, it's because they believe that it can't and won't happen to them. It can and will. Yeah. Uh, just, just not as serious uh, or maybe as serious. I, I mean, let, I, I'm not, it, it's very difficult to, I really feel like it's the suffering Olympics to say, Hey, I'm more sick because I have bipolar disorder and you're less sick because you have grief. The yeah. point is, is both of us are suffering from something that falls under mental health and we really should be more compassionate to one another. But one group of people believes that there's no such thing as mental illness and the other group is suffering in silence. And I, I think both are equally damaging. Yeah. I think I, I did an episode, it was episode 54, uh, where, uh, it was called mental well-being and occupational therapy but one of the things i really wanted to get across in that episode is that there is a difference between mental health and mental illness uh and that's something i don't, I don't think a lot of people actually put much thought into because i've heard people use them interchangeably and i'm like well everyone has mental health mental health and you can have poor mental health or good mental health without a mental illness right you, you they're not mutually exclusive it's like like your physical health example I can have poor physical health without having a broken leg, like I without a diagnosis, without a, a formal diagnostic category. I can still have good or poor mental health and oh, physical health, sorry. But the kicker is that that's going to affect my mental health. So I can look after my mental well-being, and I I, I teach something because I work at a university. I teach to my students about mental well-being, uh, and we look at the way we frame it is mental health in a well population, as in people who don't have a formalized mental illness diagnosis. And it's a lot of those sort of lifestyle and looking after yourself type things. So it's about having, you know, friendship connections and seeing your mates. It's about physical exercise, eating healthy, all of that stuff that most people know. But at times when, you know, you're feeling a bit flat or whatever, it's important to revisit those things and go, oh, okay, like I haven't really gone outside for a walk for quite a while. Maybe I'll do that and see if I feel better. Or it's been a while since I caught up with my mates. 
I'll give them a ring and see what's going on. Um, it's it's a similar. It still needs, like you were saying, it still needs addressing, and it still can affect people. And yeah, I think your example of what did you, what did you say the 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 suffering Olympics? Yes, the suffering Olympics. <laughs> I, I'm I and I and I hate it. I I don't like the suffering Olympics. I think that we should all be nicer to one another. Yeah. But, but that's there. There's there's still value in understanding that. Look, it, it, the downside of the suffering Olympics is everybody's trying to figure out who's sicker. The the plus side of the suffering Olympics is that at least the people playing acknowledge that you're all sick. Yeah. yeah. And, and 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 sometimes in our society we refuse to acknowledge that people are even are even hurting and suffering or or, or sick or in need of help. And, and that's, that's really, really problematic because it, it, people need help. People need help and they can't get it. And what's worse is sometimes the people who need help, who can't get it, they don't believe they need it because they've been influenced by the same society that the rest of us live in. I'm a perfect example of that. I did not know I needed help. I, my, my, my God, how stupid could I have been? I thought about suicide every day for 25 years and thought I was fine. Like what went wrong? Mm. What went wrong in my life? What went wrong in my family? What went wrong in my school, in my society with my friend? Like, do you know how many balls had to be dropped for a 25 year old to think that suicide was normal? And uh, there's, there's many, many, many fingers to point. Uh, yeah. I, and I, I don't want to point them to be mean to people. Mm. I want us to all get on the same page like, you know, I realized that I, I, I dropped a ball. My parents realized that they dropped a ball and I want the greater society to realize all the balls they dropped. You know, look, I, I went to public school in the eighties. We, we did, we did not teach about mental health. It, it just wasn't covered. It wasn't covered at all. I, we played with the parachute. We had gym class, but for some reason, psychology and mental health was not covered in any way. We had a whole smoking cessation program in my school, but, uh, you know, d depression and suicidality completely not covered. Yep. And uh, that's, that's, I, I just, I imagine how my life might've changed if I was sitting in a class and a teacher said, okay, we're going to talk about the signs and symptoms of suicide. And, you know, I'd have been like, well, okay, see, everybody does go through it now. And then I would have started learning about these. I would have been like, wait a minute, this is, maybe that maybe sixth grade or eighth grade or ninth grade Gabe would have gone to somebody and say, you know, I, I want to die every day. And then instead of getting help at 25, I would have gotten help at 13 or 14. Mm. And uh, you know, I, who knows how my life would have changed Change the trajectory. Yeah. And it, it's, it's, I, I understand that, you know, suicide is scary. I, I, I really feel for my parents. I, 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 I truly do because it, thinking about your child dying has got to be, is got to be horrific. Mm. And thinking about your child dying by his or her own actions, mm. which is how it's very much framed. Right. Yeah. yeah. You, you know, she took his life, you know, they, they took their own life. Yeah. That, that's a really shitty way to put it. Cause that's not what happened, but, but, that's how it's seen. That's the perception. And that becomes the reality. That's got to be even scarier. Mm. And, and, you know, we, we live in a society that has trouble sitting kids down and, you know, talking about sex ed. Uh, and, and sex is something that, that by and large, every person in America will eventually do uh, or have. I would be willing to say that everybody does something sexual. 
whether it's, you know, sex with another person, uh, you know, masturbation, self-stimulus, just even gets an erection. This is something or, 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 you know, uh, their libido, mm. uh, just, just is aroused. That's the word I'm looking for is aroused. This is something that this is part of the human condition. Hmm. And yet parents are afraid to tell their children. I listen, parents, I guarantee I, your child is going to need a solid foundation for sexual education. It, it, it is, it is ever, they, they will want to have sex either with themselves or another person. And uh, probably, you know, just, or, or they just need to live in a society where somebody will try to have sex with them. And I don't mean like in a creepy way. I just mean in a, this is yeah, what yeah. people do. There, there, there's, there's, there's value in understanding something that is so pervasive as sex. And we have trouble with that one. Yeah. And suicidality and mental illness is less pervasive, but it's, it's, it's deadly if unchecked. So I, I really think that tough conversations save lives. That that's, that's my honest belief. They're uncomfortable. They're tough. They don't feel good. I, I gave the talk to an eight year old boy. It was awful. It was awful. The, the sex ed talk. It was, it was just, it was, it was just awful. I, it was, oh, it was awful. But, but thank God, you know, now he's 22 yeah, yeah. and he has a kid and just, but, but I, I just, I, I remember just dreading it for days and, and, but, 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 but sincere, sincerely, uh, imagine where he would be if he had no understanding of what was going on yeah. or worse, incorrect information. And I really think that's very analogous to the problems that we see in mental health and mental illness. People who misunderstand sex have, 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 have problems. They have bad outcomes. They, they run into issues that they don't fully understand, that they can't comprehend, that they can't control, and they're put at a disadvantage. And uh, the same thing happens for mental health. And uh, the difference is, is, you know, an unplanned pregnancy ain't the greatest thing in the world, but over on this side, it's death. Yeah, yeah. And, and again, that seems like the suffering Olympics would rather be dead or have a baby you don't want. I, I, I don't, I, I, I don't know. I don't mean it that way. You know, no, please no, don't no. write Brock letters that Gabe is mean. I just, I think if we really consider how much danger we're putting people like Gabe, people like me in, because I had no information. Yeah. And the ripple effect that that would have had on all the people around me. I think that we can see that, wow, we, we did that because we didn't want to have a tough conversation about mental illness, mental health and suicide with, with our, with our teenager. Yeah. Yeah. I guarantee that every single mother or father who's ever lost a child to suicide would much rather have the awful conversation, the uncomfortable conversation oh, and the scary conversation than, than, than what they're going through. And, and that's the message that I want to get out there. There, there, there are worse things than an uncomfortable conversation. And like I've said it before, you are better off asking and making a fool of yourself than not asking and regretting it forever. Amen. Amen. That is, that is, yes, yes. And again, I, you know, it's like we talk about Brock, right? So what if you're wrong? Yeah. People ask me this about what if I ask somebody about suicide and I'm wrong? Well, then, then you're relieved, right? You're you're, you don't thing. have to worry about it anymore. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, people say, well, I, I, I'm afraid that I have schizophrenia, bipolar, major depression. What should I do? Go to a doctor. Well, what if I'm wrong? Yeah, that, that's fantastic. Are you kidding? That, that's fantastic. Yeah. It just, it, what if, what if this mole is cancer? Well, do you think to yourself, oh my God, what if I go and it's not? No, you're praying that it's not, <laughs> but you still get the mole checked out. Right. Yeah, yeah. I just, you know, come on. There's it. it come on. 
come on. It just, there's this, there's this allure around mental illness that is just, that is just seeded by misinformation and ignorance and pop culture and uh, our, our, our own beliefs that we've piled on without any evidence or facts in the world. And, and then, then we add to that our fear and uh, it just, it, it becomes this, this mess. And this mess is not helping anybody. And in fact, it's it's hurting people. It's literally killing people. And and I, I think we just need to have a much more robust conversation surrounding mental illness and mental health. And sincerely, I, I don't say this lightly, that will save a lot of lives. Mm. That will save a lot of lives. And, and I'm not one of these people that believes that everything saves lives. I I the tagline of my podcast is not listen to my podcast. It will save a lot of lives. I, no, I'm, I'm, I don't put that tagline on everything like other mental health advocates. I, I, I sincerely believe that what will save lives is open and honest and robust conversations surrounding mental health and mental illness. That will, that will save lives. Definitely. And speaking of good information, you do have, you got a couple of podcasts now I've got, well, I've, Listen to the uh, one of them for a little while, and I just found your your. I believe it was probably the first one because there's a lot more episodes in that one. <laughs> um, yeah, that's always a dead giveaway, right? Yeah. <laughs> tell tell me where, where where can people find those? What are they about? Why have you got? Two? Yeah, so I, I am I am the I am the 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 host of of two podcasts. The first one is called the Psych Central Podcast, and that that was the first one. It's the flagship prod prod podcast. That's the flagship podcast, and it's over on psychcentral.com slash show, or of course, your favorite podcast player. Just search for the Psych Central podcast. It's an educational show. When I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder, my, my parents, who are just regular people, they didn't go to college. There's regular people. My mom is a stay-at-home mom. My dad is a truck driver. All of a sudden, they needed just a ton of information about bipolar disorder, mental illness, mental health, because they were scared for their son, and they had a problem. They went out and talked to doctors and they couldn't understand them, but they wanted to get the information from experts. Luckily, they were able to find good sources on the web and, and you know, good things, good people to talk to that explained it to them from an expert level in a way that they could understand. That's what that podcast is. I get experts in the field, everything from from licensed social workers to PhDs to medical doctors to occupational therapists. And I have them explain high-level concepts to my father. Uh, he is not actually on the show, but I'm always thinking to when they level. talk, would my dad understand this? And if the answer is yes, I am very happy because my dad wants the correct information. Mm. He's excited to have the correct information. And I'm always worried that my, that my dad is going to get sucked in with the wrong information because that's the thing about wrong information. Because they're not constrained by facts, it's often easier to understand. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that show. Now that show got going and it became really popular and I loved it. And I loved giving an outlet for, you know, simple psychology, mental health and mental illness talk. I, I loved helping experts explain things to a lay audience, but I realized that the lived experience voice was, was just not really, it, it wasn't really there. It, it didn't, you know, when, when you say I'm having experts in the field of psychology, mental health and mental illness talk about the, these, you know, they're, yeah, they're, they're they don't usually yeah. live with it. I mean, yeah, occasionally. Yeah. And plus, you know, I have a lot to say. 
I want to say stuff. I, I want the lived experience response to pop culture. I, I want the lived experience response to the stuff that happens in the news. I, I want people to talk about what it's like to live with bipolar, schizophrenia, depression, anxiety, grief, mental. I, I want, I want that perspective captured. So I came up with the podcast, not crazy and not crazy is co-hosted uh, with Jackie Zimmerman. She's a great woman, lives with depression and anxiety. Uh, I am the other co-host. I live with bipolar and anxiety. And the two of us talk about mental illness, mental health, and everything in between. And uh, listen, you're going to disagree with half the stuff we say. You're going to like the other half. And then there's another half because we're not good at math that you're going to think, <laughs> I'm going to think about that for a while. And, and that's really the purpose of that show. So we've got the expert theory we've got the the lived experience or i'm sorry let me start that over so the psych central podcast is experts explaining things simply the not crazy podcast is the lived experience talking about their journey and their life the other way to look at it is the psych central podcast will tell you what bipolar disorder is and the not crazy podcast will tell you what living with bipolar disorder is like you can find them both on your favorite podcast player just search for the psych central podcast or not crazy or you can go to psychcentral.com slash show for the Psych Central podcast or psychcentral.com slash not crazy for the not crazy podcast. And finally, I would be remiss if I didn't tell you about my book, Mental Illness is an Asshole. I named it that because it mental is. illness is an asshole. Yeah. <laughs> You can find it at GabeHoward.com. You can also, of course, find it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble. If you buy it from GabeHoward.com, I can sign it and send you a bunch of free stuff. Plus, it's cheaper. Right now, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and all those places are charging full price, and I put a discount on it. So you can head over to GabeHoward.com. There's also other blogs and stuff to read over there and uh, you know all my Facebook stuff. So I really recommend checking it out and buying a book. Buy my book. It's a good book. I mean, if you've tolerated me for the last, you know, hour or so, I mean, really, what's a book? What's a book? It's a book. That's my sales pitch. Buy my book. You've tolerated me this long. Yeah. It's a really good book. It's 380 pages of awesome. And obviously it's got a really cool name. I was going to say, I'd buy it just for the name. <laughs> Brock, thank you for yeah. having me on the show. I, I can't, I can't thank you enough. It's been really, really cool. But yeah, no, absolute pleasure. Thanks for, for coming in and, and having a chat. That was a lot of fun. Oh, thank you so much. I can't, I can't wait to connect with your audience and keep in touch with you. Thank you. Bob. And your accent is just, it's just amazing. Of course, <laughs> the people listening in Australia, they'll be like, Gabe's accent is just amazing. Well, <laughs> it's all about perspective, right? If half of my audience is American. They'll listen to my accent. And then the other half, which is Australian, English, Canadian, whoever else, everyone else. We'll listen to your accent and go, oh, that's amazing. Good the accent market covered. <laughs> so.